Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his what? It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm here today with a future space, possibly time traveller, who knows? And I'm very excited to be speaking with Dr. Diane McGrath. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. I'm not quite a doctor yet, but I am doing my PhD at the moment. So right. I'm on go. the way. So the almost <laughs> doctor. So almost doctor, almost <laughs> Mars astronaut, almost so much. But there is so much that you actually are, and I want to cover that today. So um, for those of you who may be, you may have heard Diane's name on the media. She's been on the speaking circuit a little bit. Uh, she is one of the, and it's been narrowed down to 100 uh, uh, people who are in line to be down to the final 24. It's even better than like American Idol or Australian Idol. Like started at 100 and we're now down to 100. It's going to be narrowed to 24 people who will go and live on Mars. And if you extend it a bit, it's not only live on Mars, it, probably means dying on Mars as well, because I'm assuming this is a one-way trip, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's exactly right. It is uh, the rest of my life on other planets if I get chosen to go. That's, that's an amazing thing. So I'm really interested in the question that I like to ask at various studies. How do you define success? Someone who's had an amazing mm. background and has an amazing future set ahead of you, how do you define success? Mm. So you used the word before with um, your introduction the word almost, almost doctor, almost Mars and so on. And I think success touches on that. It's, there's an element of striving for something. Uh, and, and when I was younger, it used to be around achieving a goal, you know, whether that was financial or you know, success in sport or something like that. But as I've gotten a bit older, I've come to a different landing with that. And I sort of feel success is now much more about that journey, that almost it's like being in that almost, being, and not just at that, the end line. So it's, it's, the, it's everything that you gain and gather and share with others um, along the way. So that, that's kind of what I perceive success to be is in that journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it is because, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about success and, well, once you've reached your goals, it's like, well, now what? And so, yeah, that, being in that state of almost, that's fantastic. So... Talk to us. I want to talk about the Mars stuff, um, but let's let's make people wait. Mm. Let's get them all excited about it. I'm very <laughs> interested. There's a lot of conversation going on at the moment about the uh, the amount of waste in packaging in food, mm. and we've got uh, something the size of Paris floating in the Pacific Ocean at like a plastic island, or you know that kind of stuff. So your PhD is in environmental engineering. Can you tell us a bit more right. about that and how that then you're doing a food waste and plate waste public experiment at the moment. I want to hear a bit more about that. So can you just mm. tell us a bit more about what you're doing in that realm? Yeah. Yeah. So my area of expertise is sustainability. I have a, a few degrees in that area at university already. And my PhD, I decided to focus on environmental engineering. So I looked at things um, systematically because nothing happens as a, you know, one item affects another. There's much more that usually affects. It's like in a business. There's so many things that affect whether something is going to be successful or not. It's not just a linear process. Um, and so I was interested to see how can I look at food waste from a perspective in the hospitality sector, so businesses. How can we find a way to reduce that? Because it's a huge issue. We, we know 
Um, but Australia, we, we have to now reduce our food waste by 50% by 2030. So we have, we have less than 13 years to halve our food waste in this country. But because we signed up, we signed up to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to say globally we're going to cut it in half by 2030. And so the Australian government's like, yeah, we're going to do that too, but we have no clue how. <laughs> so it's kind of like, so from the business's perspective, most businesses are too busy just opening the door, right? They're, they're too busy opening the door is say paying their staff, all that sort of stuff, to go to the trouble of actually assessing how efficient am I with my use of my food, um, which is crazy. Because the purchase of food is about a third of their costs, food and beverages, about a third of costs, but they don't account for that in the same way that they account for the hours and minutes that staff spend on activities. So it's really quite fascinating. I get they waste 30, 40, up to 60% sometimes of the food that they purchase each week. It's not, I mean, it, where's that profit? And, and then what's the environmental impact that it has as well? Massive, massive environmental impact. Um, all that land that's been cleared for food to be grown that's never eaten, just thrown away. It's just, that seems insane, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. So that's kind of what I wanted to explore. Uh, and I thought, well, if I can find a way to understand what that looks like in this country, how much waste is thrown away, um, and then why it happens, and what are some of the things that can be done to reduce that, then that would have a benefit for the environment and a benefit for businesses as well, win-win situation. Yeah, yeah. And are you looking at the start of the supply chain as well? Like, I know there's the, the very popular on the ABC War on Waste where they talk about mm. if the bananas are too big or too straight or too whatever, like they don't get a, the supermarket say we don't want them because they don't reach our standards. Um, is that part of your research as well? Or are you only looking at the tail end and when it's like, okay, once we have the product, how much, mm. how much are we minimizing waste? Because I'm, I'm, so you're looking at both ends? Um, I'm focusing mostly on the, the retail end of things, um, right. although you can't look at that. It doesn't happen in isolation. Yeah. So we still have a perception. We're human beings. Um, when we think about food and we think about purchasing food, we know what good quality food looks like because we've been told bananas bent, it's this colour, it's all sort of stuff. So it's the same thing in a business. It's often, it's amazing the sort of quality of food that's still thrown away in a business just because it doesn't look quite perfect yeah. and then it could be turned into a soup yeah, or something. yeah. you could you could repurpose that in a way that's not going to waste that food it might have been it might have been relatively cheap lettuce or something like that but there's other ways of using these things you can yeah, that yeah, as yeah. um the garnish underneath the platter no one's going to see that because they've got the sandwiches on it yeah but there are different ways of using the food right Right. Um, and it's really interesting. I was speaking to someone from the Salvation Army and I said to them, well, how much is hunger an issue? And he's like, we, we've got a problem with overweight homeless people because we have so much food given to us. That's not the issue. And I was quite astounded. So obviously, our, some stuff's been done in terms of getting leftover food delivered to charities. But there is so much food that is, is wasted. And all you've got to do is look at people's plates when they order food. How, how, did, how yeah. do we address that kind of stuff? Well, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you know, you go out for a meal, whether it's your local pub on steak night or, or your, your favourite bistro for a special event, um, and you have this perception of value. Mm. As a diner, you expect to see something on the plate that either looks, looks marvellous or you know Celebrity Chef X has designed it so it's going to taste amazing. But if you haven't got all of these other criteria, you're going to expect it to be big. Yeah. So that value perception, it's like any, it's like any business offering. What is the value perception of that 
that moment, that interaction between the customer and the uh, and the venue. Uh, and so a lot of venues don't realise that the customer is actually happier with a lot less food. In fact, there's research that shows that that diners are happier um, with about 10 to 15 percent less food on their plate than what right. they get. Um, and excess servings is why we waste most of our food diners. Yeah. It's mostly because they're way too big. I mean, who hasn't received a schnitzel the size of, oh, I don't know. A, a small country. Too. Like, unbelievable. <laughs> Some places are like, oh, ours, ours is huge, biggest schnitzel in town. And you're like, what size chook are you getting this from and how many, <laughs> whatever is it being fed? And who is going to eat it all? Exactly. It's horrendous to think about it. And, you know, without trying to bring the discussion down a bit, an animal is died for you to decide, I can't finish that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's awful. Well, it's almost it's an ethical it's issue. All sacrifice. You know, it's just like, <laughs> So exactly. tell me about the food waste and the plate, plate waste public experiment mm. that you're doing this year. Yeah, so I, I started an experiment earlier this year where I, I want to live for a week eating only the food waste that was left on other people's plates when they went out to dine. So I know it's a, the first people who are used to oh, ick is often the most common response. But I wanted to prove a point through, tell, through storytelling uh, about how much food we waste. Because I know it from my research. I've quantified it. I know why diners leave it, all this sort of stuff. I even know the sorts of venues they leave it at. And so I knew, I knew this would not, sadly, would not be a problem. But I, I shared it through social media, um, this experiment, so that people could see this in, in a way that was almost entertaining and engaging, a bit like war and waste in some ways. You can yeah. visually see something. Um, and I had really good fellowship of it and uh, a lot of interaction with people surprised with, with some of the statistics. Because you can put a statistic out there. I can put, I can put a journal article out. But who's, there's only other academics who are going to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the layperson yeah. needs the story. We need that shock video mm. footage to going, look what they've left behind. There's my dinner. Yom, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> You know. <laughs> that's exactly what I did for a week <laughs> and uh, I, my, my stomach was really not happy with me because a bit like the, the homeless people situation a lot of the food that's left behind of excess food is very heavy in carbohydrates yeah. so excessive carbohydrates which is well your bread, cakes um, rice, things like this without a balance of all the other stuff the good healthy fats and yeah. good um, uh, proteins you're going to get fat <laughs> and my stomach was really not happy. Really and, not. And happy. Are you, um, do you have um, special eating needs, or do you have? Do you follow a certain diet in your normal life? Like, are you gluten free or vegetarian <laughs> or something? So, because that way you I do have a, about what you're eating. You know. Oh, it was a sacrifice for me because I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates at all. I actually eat a, a much more moderate and low carbohydrate diet, moderate health um, protein, and a lot of healthy fats. So I had to reverse that entirely for the week because I, I couldn't choose. People aren't, people don't leave the protein. But I think some of the, the thoughts in the literature, the research suggests that when, when people are choosing what to leave, if they've got too much food there, they'll often leave the stuff that is of lesser value to them, that they would have spent less at the supermarket buying the yep. lettuce, the salad or whatever. They'll... Oh, I'll shovel one more mouth of that steak in because that's going to cost me. I paid good money for this steak. Kilo. I'm not going to let it go. Exactly. And it's become, that's the primary part of the meal. So people don't leave that as much so unless it's ridiculously, you know, um, size <laughs> schnitzel, like we said before. Um, but commonly they'll leave the, the chips or the salad or the rice, the stuff that is the side, not the important part. And you can't live on that. It's not good. <laughs> so you did this for a week. 
I did it for a week. And uh, the only reason I didn't put on weight was because I had to walk a lot to try and find um, venues to scavenge for breakfast. Because people don't leave breakfast, they eat their breakfast. Yeah. Uh, so the only thing I managed to scavenge at breakfast time was often maybe half a bagel or a um, um, quarter of a muffin or something like that. And coffee about this much, like about an inch, if, if possible, at the bottom of someone's coffee cup. So I did intermittent fasting without meaning to most of the time. <laughs> Fantastic. So there, you've got photos and, and that story that's on your Facebook page, yeah? Uh, I've got that on the Instagram, on my on Instagram, Instagram account. All right, we'll make sure that we yeah. put a link um, in the details <laughs> for the podcast so people can have a look at that. Did you have any surprises, <laughs> like drink a little bit of coffee and find someone to put a cigarette butt in it or anything like that? No, oh, oh, actually, um, there was one, a lot of the time I'd pick up a coffee cup and, um, and you just give it a quick shake, you know, so take, take away a coffee cup, oh, yeah, this just, I mean, that's fantastic, it takes a lid off and assess it and go, yeah, fantastic. And one morning, um, I did the same thing, picked it up, shook it, I thought, oh, wow, this is almost half full, brilliant. And I lifted it off and it was red wine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did not have that. Oh, that <laughs> I was like, okay, nice, there's a limit. Nice start to the day. <laughs> no, no way. So I left that, I left that one. Um, actually, I put it in the bin because I, I don't want someone else doing this by accident. Not that I think there's a lot of people out there doing it, yeah. but just in case. It is funny, like when you first said people going, oh, eat off other people's plates. Yet I got to tell you, whenever my wife and I go out for dinner, there's this random fork that comes over and stabs it. So it's like people are not scared to eat off other people's plates if you know who the person is. So isn't that funny? Because it's it's really funny. We do and we do it with our friends too. Yeah. Like if we, you know, we'll share a pizza, um, a salad. We'll use the same tongs to move a salad around, and um, even each other's forks. And but. Did we take? Did I take a swab inside your mouth and assess to see what you know your microbiome looks like at the moment? No, of course not. So, what about the person sitting next to me that I don't know? How are they going to be any worse? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. But you know, we did have this funny thing about strangers. Yeah, yeah. It had this this weird idea. All right. So, how does doing this kind of research help towards mm. the going to Mars? Like, are you going to naturally <laughs> you're going to have a whole new planet. Do we, do we can have more landfills that we empty? Yeah. <laughs> so how does it, how does it help uh, towards your, your mission to Mars? Yeah, well, it doesn't sound like it's directly connected, does it, just thinking about eating off plates. And, and that element is not, but it's, it's more about the systems approach. Like how do we find solutions so that, that food is considered sustainably? Um, and those solutions are not just about service and so forth, but consideration of how things are produced, how the waste is managed, even policies that can inhibit or encourage better waste management as well. So looking at things collectively, there's more the systems thinking approach. To waste management, to live sustainably on Mars, we have to live sustainably on Mars because it's not like you can resupply. It's mm. a seven-month journey, seven months it takes to get from Earth to Mars. So if I run out of anything, I I can't just order some online. No, deri- no Deliveroo. That's not happening. <laughs> Amazon's not going to get it there. No, it's not. So we have to think about things. that Waste can't exist anymore when we live on Mars. Uh, and another reason because of that as well is that we're not going to be able to just resupply any sort of, um, I guess, spare parts of things either. If something breaks, we have to reuse it in some format or repurpose it. Um, in fact, NASA's been doing some research to see can we produce plastics from human waste using right. 3D printing. And they had the first um, uh, research piece um, last week that was just 
um, in the in the news that indicate that this is possible. And and while it sounds a bit gross, like human waste, uh, well, Mark what needed to, to grow potatoes in the middle of Martian, uh, but but if we can produce our own plastic from what we would consider, you know, a complete uh, waste, so human waste that you'd never touch, then then that's that's wonderful. Then we don't need anything mm. to feed into 3D printing material. We've actually got it with us constantly. Yeah. Um, and I think about just the fact that on Mars as well, because we've globally there's something called the Outer Space Treaty, which is um, a law that all nations have signed that are um, spacefaring nations. Australia, even though we don't have the space program per se in the same way, we are a spacefaring nation and we have signed the treaty. Um, it says that one of the qualities of this uh, treaty is that we cannot damage or cross-contaminate with another planet. Um, so I can't just dig a big hole yeah. in the backyard on Mars and dump my waste. So yeah. no, we can't have landfills. Like this. So we have to find ways of rethinking things and repurposing things and thinking things as a more part of a system. So this waste is no longer waste. It's just a continuous input that has another function in another format later. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, and it's. I think that's if we can learn from the Mars trip and then apply that back to Earth, that would be a good thing. I'm sure. Useful. <laughs> Come in handy. Um, although I'm not sure, poo plastic is really going to hit the markets in a very favourable way. But who knows? Um, so talk to me about Mars. This is not just a oh, think I'll go to Mars. This has been a long journey for you. Like, when was the initial applications? Uh, they, Mars One put out a call for astronaut candidates back in 2013, and uh, that was around April 2013. And I submitted an application in June that year. Um, I found out at the end of the year that I'd been successful in the first round of the application stage. And there's been a number of stages since then. Um, and this year, towards the end of the year, they hit the final stage of the um, of the selection process. That would trim the hundred of us that are left down to um, twelve to twenty-four, depending upon you know if there's enough good candidates. I mean, you're not going to put twenty-four as the last four. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we don't need to just make up numbers. So it's not yeah. a quotient system yeah. <laughs> in equality. Um, yeah, so that's that's where it's been a very long process, and it's been interesting being part of something that's such a long process. It's really made me reassess if it's something I want to be in, and this whole thing that we touched on earlier about almost and being being in the journey of, mm. of going towards something quite extraordinary, whether no matter what those goals are in life, this one has really transformed a lot of the way I've, I've lived my life since being a part of it. And that's one of the, the joys of, of being in it is the transformation, I think. Because mm. it really is two very different outcomes to later in your life because one you go to mars so all of a sudden superannuation or saving for retirement doesn't matter um because you can't spend your money on mars anyway um you don't have to worry about funeral insurance because that'll all be taken care of it's like the very versus like and then if you miss out it's like well you can't have not been investing in in your future because just in case you don't get it uh, and so yep. it's like, I can't just throw all my energy into Mars because if I don't get there, I've got to have something else. That, so it, it, how have you dealt with that mind discombobulation, mm. essentially? Yeah, and that's, it's an interesting thing to, to start to think about in life. I mean, some, we often have multiple balls we're juggling, aren't we? You know, um, whether it's getting the balance right between family and health and um, other projects. And often a lot of entrepreneurs will often have a lot of 
you know, early concepts that are in development and eventually they start to invest more in one than the other, but they don't completely cut off all mm. the others. So they'll often they just shelve it and just keep tabs on them. Um, and I, I guess some of this thinking is a bit like a lot of what a lot of entrepreneurs do. They they, they look at those opportunities and uh, and and see which ones are, are worth investing in. And, and what I do to uh, ensure that I live in today for what are two potentially totally different futures is I live my life in such a way that the investment I put in my day today will benefit me in either option. Mm. So um, they're all about how I can be the best me I can be uh, for Mars or Diane 2.0 on planet Earth. Um, either one is, is, a, is a great outcome in my, yeah. in my mind. So I don't feel like um, I'm trading off is, is the important part there. Yeah. What about things like family and relationships? Like, uh, uh, because... Mm. You know, I, I think I'm now at a point where my wife wouldn't let me go to Mars um, <laughs> unless I took her with me, of course, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless of the fact that I'm probably not fit enough and all don't have enough knowledge and all this sort of stuff. But so are you, does it impact on any of your relationships thinking that, you know, well, in, a, in 10 years time, I'm not going to be here and I won't have any contact with this person anymore and doing Facebook chats, uh, mm. you know, it, it's not, we don't know what we're going to have. So does it impact on that and or family relationships? Like are your family mm. sort of like, oh my God, why are you running away from us? And you know, <laughs> trip kind of thing. I'm really fortunate. My friends and family are very supportive of me doing this. And uh, my, mother, my mother thinks it's just fantastic. She, gets, she thinks it's just so exciting. But of course, she and my father, who also is a huge supporter, um, they were young adults at a time when the lunar landing occurred. Right. And so, you know, one of the most inspirational moments in history uh, and to think that their daughter could be a part of the true next great leap forward mm. to mankind. Um, you, you're really torn as a parent. I mean, I don't have children myself, but I can you know, imagine you can only want the best for your child whilst at the same time still wanting to hold their hand across the road. So there's a balance there between the two, yeah. no matter how old you are. Um, so I'm very lucky there. But the good thing about going to Mars, of course, we'll still have internet. Uh, I'll still be able to communicate. In fact, there'll be minimal competition for bandwidth. <laughs> Only a few of us there. Um, but there'll be a time delay. So yeah. I wouldn't be able what, to... What is the chat. time lag between Mars and Earth for communications? Yeah, the, the shortest time delay is about three minutes when the planets are closest together in their orbits. But when they're at opposite ends of their orbits, um, it's about 22 minutes. So it's, it's worse than dial-up for those those of you listeners who may recall the world of dial-up. You can go make a cup of tea while you're waiting for the next page to load. Yeah. It'll be a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so with um, – and, and it's not just like the end of the year, they're going to be narrowing it down to the 12 to 24 mm. or whatever. Uh, mm. And no doubt, I'm sure in part of those numbers, they'll be thinking, okay, because it's, it's 10 years training before we believe they'll be ready to leave. Is that correct? Yeah, well, a bit, slightly more than that. Yeah, so 2031 is the first scheduled human mission. Um, right. There'll be multiple technical missions prior to that while uh, Mars One sends up and advance the infrastructure for where they'll live, uh, as well as um, the not just the living quarters, but um, energy production and, and water production and so forth. And some rovers that will be robotically deploying a lot of that. So essentially kind of move in when we arrive. It's already set up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so quite some time between now and then, but over that period of time, it'll be about learning because none of us, there's, there's no, there's been no human to Mars. We have no idea mm. what this is going to be like, except for whoever goes in those early crews. 
has to be the the modern day MacGyvers and McGurvers of this new world where we have to be able to do everything with anything. You know, as long as you've got gaffer tape, you should be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gaffer tape holds holds the world together. I love that. I love that title, McGurver. That's awesome. Um, because yeah, it really is. Like Mars is the only planet we know of that's currently inhabited by robots. With I think it's the two yeah. rovers that are there. So yeah. it, it's going to be very, very interesting. What's what's the thing that excites you most about the the Mars trip? I think the possibility, the untapped potential of not just a new planet and a new world but who we could be and I, I say that from just the thought once again of that lunar landing when more people signed up to do a PhD after Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon than any other time in history so there's, there's something about that that those momentous occasions that help the rest of us feel oh I'm possible there's something else that I, that I could possibly be doing I can be the next best part of myself and so I, I wonder and I, I'm curious about that, that potential of humanity that is going to be there that will evolve from seeing humans do something extraordinary. Yeah. What's the thing that scares you the most about going to Mars? Um, this, it's, not a technical, it's not technical at all. People often think that, oh, yeah, rockets blow up and, oh, you won't be able to breathe very easily and all this sort of stuff. And... Absolutely, technology is critical. Without technology that works, we will die. There is no doubt about that. But technology can be fixed. You can you can you know mend things, rebuild things, use an alternative, you know, go back to pulleys and wheels if if you know IT doesn't work. There are ways of solving things. Um, but it's I think that the psychology, I think that the mind is going to be the, the toughest part. Uh, and so I think almost the scariest part is that time of those moments where you are there with yourself and three other people only if you're lucky enough to be in the first crew because the crew of four go every two years from 2031. And at those extreme moments of isolation when you do feel it's only you, where, where do you go? Where, how do you deal with, with, with your challenges, with your mental health issues, with, with anything when you don't have that backup support? Um, you have to be so resilient uh, and you have to be able to deal with just the pressures that you put on yourself. I think about, for me, it's going to be around dealing with, um, I think, expectation. Because I'm lucky enough to be in that first crew, you know, establishing a new outpost for humanity on another planet. How much of the expectation of the rest of this world will I have on my shoulders? Yeah, no, so, pressure. <laughs> uh, no pressure. No first, pressure. First, first person, <laughs> new planet, no pressure. You're right. Have a good time and let us know how it goes. I doubt, you know, I'll be, I'll be, I know that I'll be having to deal mostly with how I deal with that, the pressure yeah. of expectation and, and so that self-expectation, you know, the mental health stuff. Because that's the thing, like currently it's just a concept and, mm. and even as you get closer to it, it's still going to be a concept. And so, you know, when mm-hmm. people say, are you sure you've made the right decision? It's going to be easy to go, oh yes, oh yes. But once you're there, that's when yeah. it's going to be the, oh, was this the right decision? And <laughs> and there's no going back. It is a one-way street, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, it, it reminds me in some ways, like I did mention briefly entrepreneurship earlier, how a lot of entrepreneurs really do, you, you do your research. You, anytime anyone's starting up a, a business of any sort, you're going to dive into it, even maybe a business partnership, you do the research, you do it. 
But it's not until you're out there on the day, everything's in place and you're actually doing the work that you really know what the business is about. And then it's really not until you start having true regular interaction with customers. Yeah. Like it's the interaction with the everyday. And you're not going to know that until you're doing it. Yeah. You can simulate it as much as you like. And that's what Mars One are going to be trying to do with the training program. Each year during the training, they're going to be locking us away in very small teams of four for months on end in isolation where, and we practice some of the stuff we've learned technically during that year. Um, and so we don't have much communication with the outside world except through delayed communication, just like as if we live on Mars. Um, yes, that might break some people mentally uh, or whatever, or the opposite, hopefully strengthen them. Um, but it's not the same because you know one day they're going to open that door Correct. and you're back, you're still on Earth. So you're never going to, you cannot simulate a real environment. You only, You can only just put yourself in the best situation possible to to deal with any situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diane, I could talk to you for ages. My little science fiction geeky heart is just thumping in my (laughs) But we do do need to wrap it up. I will ask before we go, though, what Mm -hmm. things do you wish you'd known earlier to help prepare you for the work you're doing, both with your PhD and your work on this planet and your preparation for Mm -hmm. work on another planet? What what two or three things do you wish you'd, you'd known earlier? Um, this is actually, I've never been asked this before. This is a, a great question. And I think it's in so many things because it's how do you prepare for something that you have no idea what it's going to be? It's really difficult. And so for me, a lot of it's around the people that you're with. It's that teamwork stuff. Um, and it's not just about learning to work well with others. We, we all, we can all suck it up and, and just get done with a project with people we do and don't like in a work environment. But if you then have to live the rest of your life with them too, it's a very different so, and especially if those individuals are from um, a, a different generations, um, different cultures, everything. So I think I would, I would like to have had a better understanding of cross-cultural communication and multi-generational communication. I think that would be something that um, would be, I mean, I'm learning as I go and because of the hundred of us, we talk to each other constantly, which is great. So I'm learning so much more about them as, as different cultures and, and, and how other people think um, and behave. I think that's the sort of stuff that, that would benefit any business, any business at all, uh, and anyone in, to be able to be a better human in this world. Yeah. Diane, thank you so much for your time and wish you all the very best for your trip to Mars because I'm sure you'll be in the 24. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that, Warren. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I've been your host, Warwick Mary. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Mary. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening and until next time, enjoy your success.